Jonah 2, chapters 1 to 10. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swelled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kerry. So, um, no funny introduction story this morning, partly because I forgot to think of one, and partly because I can't think of anything funny at the moment. Um, the world's a bit mad, isn't it? Um, so we've started this new sermon series looking at the story of Jonah. Um, and the story of Jonah is an interesting one, um, perhaps a bit controversial too, in that some theologians believe that this story is completely literal and others believe it's pure symbolism. Last week, Tom shared his view that the story is a true account of what happened as opposed to a parable. Personally, I'm not sure it matters and I can't say for certain one way or the other I happen to believe that God can speak through all things. Jesus himself often used parables to get his point across. But I also believe that God is a God of mystery and a God who creates and a God for whom nothing is impossible. So whether this happened or didn't happen or whether it was a whale or a, which is a mammal or an extremely large fish, I don't know. But I do know that God undoubtedly has stuff to teach us from this story and indeed Jesus himself referenced the story generations later. So far, we have met this guy Jonah who was called by God to go and attempt to bring the people of Nineveh who were causing God enormous angst to a place of repentance. By all accounts, the Ninevites were a formidable bunch and Jonah was not keen on the task set before him, no doubt fearing for his life, so he does a runner. He ends up on a boat sailing in the opposite direction. But of course, he clearly hadn't read Psalm 139, which says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. 
if he'd have read that, he'd have known that we can't run or hide from God. I'm not sure if you've ever tried to run from God. I certainly have um, on numerous occasions. Perhaps not quite in such a dramatic way as Jonah does here, but I've had many an occasion where I have tried very hard to shut God out and pretend he doesn't exist. But he always has a way of getting our attention, often by our circumstances or perhaps through the beauty or power of creation or by the people around us. And if we learn nothing else from this story of Jonah, we learn this, that God's mission is that of redemption and he will persevere in that mission. God's mission is to bring us back to himself. It's about restoration. He didn't want to destroy the people of Nineveh, nor did he want to watch them destroy themselves. He wanted them to understand that there was a better way to live. So here we have Jonah on a boat sailing away from God, and God sends a storm, and and Jonah realizes that it's all about him. He has what we might call a kairos moment, a moment in time of significance, when we have to face what we have to face and do something about it. A wake-up call kind of moment, a moment where we might need to make a decision, have a change of direction or mindset, a moment of repentance. In that moment, Jonah can no longer run. He has to face God. He has to face the consequences of his actions. He knows he's done wrong and assumes, as we all would, that God is not impressed. So he surrenders. He ends up overboard and ends up in the belly of a whale. And that's where we find him in chapter 2. Last week, the sermon title was Jonah the Disobedient. This week, we look at Jonah the Repentant. So repentance, then, it's a big word. And I wonder what, it, what you think when you hear the word. How does it make you feel? What images does it conjure up for you? It's a word that makes me shudder a little, if I'm honest. It's a serious word, scary word, because it kind of means business. It's most definitely a religious word. It's not a word I hear used often in contexts outside of church, and it wouldn't necessarily be a topic of conversation at a dinner party. I guess it makes me shudder a little because it's a word I associate with another unpalatable word, sin. And by definition, repentance requires change. Repentance, though, is something we need to understand because it was something Jesus spoke about. In fact, right at the very start of his ministry, in one of his first preachers, he says this, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. So I conclude that if it was important to Jesus, then it probably should be important to us too. I wonder, though, whether we truly understand what repentance is all about. If I was to sum up the repentance message that I've understood over the years that I've been hanging around churches, it's this, that I am a sinful person, I am fundamentally flawed, I mess up daily, always have and always will. I'm unclean and I deserve punishment. And in this state, I cannot stand before God. But God loves me in spite of my failings, in spite of my sin, in spite of my unclean state. And because he loves me, God has paved a way through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus, who suffered the punishment of death in my place, for me to be washed clean, forgiven, and absolved from all my sin, and and be gifted with the privilege of eternal life in heaven with him when I seek his forgiveness and repent of my ways. And more than that, his forgiveness, his love and his mercy is limitless and free, graciously allowing me to mess up again and again without condemnation. 
That's the gospel message of salvation. That's the good news of Jesus. But I wonder if Jesus had more to say about repentance than that. I wonder whether we might be missing the point. I wonder whether we've squashed this issue of repentance into a mere, albeit sincere, sorry to God. Have we made it too much about our, eternal, our individual eternal salvation and ticket to heaven and not enough about living another way here on earth? The word repentance means to have a change of heart, to take a different course. It's that Kairos moment that I mentioned earlier that Jonah had inside the whale. Jonah had a realization that he'd messed up and needed to do something about it. He realized in that moment in the belly of the whale that he needed to come back to God with a willingness and desire to live differently, to live God's way, that he could no longer run. The theme of repentance runs right through the story of Jonah. And when we understand the story, we understand that the call from God to repentance is a call from love and a call to love. The Ninevites were an oppressive, fierce nation. But that's not just how God saw them. He saw a nation of people whom he created, living their lives on land he created, a nation whom he loved, a nation of people whom he longed to be reconciled with him, whom he longed to see loving one another, being kind to one another, seeking the best for one another. And so he sent Jonah, Jonah with his message of repentance, his message of salvation. To me, this passage speaks of God's heart for us, Absolutely, he saw the sinful nature of the Ninevites, and no doubt that broke his heart. But he also saw their potential. He saw how things could be different. He saw a, na a nation whom he still loved in spite of the way they were living. And the same goes for me and for you. When he looks at me and when he looks at you, I don't believe he sees a sinner or a screw-up or a failure or someone beyond redemption or a lost without question. Absolutely, he sees the sin. He sees us mess up. He sees us fail. He sees us hurt others. He sees us make mistakes. Sometimes he sees us do some terrible things. But he sees that stuff through the eyes of a compassionate, loving father. He sees our circumstances, our weaknesses. He sees our hurts. He sees our struggles. He sees our stories. He sees the person we could have been and still could be, as well as the person we are. God always has hope for us, even when we have no hope for ourselves. So sin is complex. It's not just about doing bad things. We are complex. I don't believe that when God saw Jonah in the belly of a whale, that he just saw a sinner. I don't believe that when God sees us today, he sees a church full of sinners. I believe he sees a group of people whom he loves and whom he wants to redeem, whom he wants to be reconciled with, whom he wants to walk alongside whom he wants to encourage to follow and live another way, whom he wants to heal. I'm not convinced that constantly being reminded that I'm a sinner is really helpful, yet sadly it's something I've experienced so often from the front of church and Christian conferences and so on. The God I worship is a God of love, a God of grace and a God of mercy. And I believe when he looks upon us now that he sees a church full of individuals whom he loves and to whom he extends his forgiveness and his invitation to repentance and restoration and healing and to live another way. So here we have Jonah in the belly of a whale. And in the chapter we had read to us this morning by Kerry, we hear his experience of his time there. So what can he teach us? 
just as an, as an aside, Tom spoke last week of his view that Jonah wasn't actually alive in the belly of the whale and that this was a story of resurrection. I'm making an assumption that he was alive and would have to be in order to come to this place of recognizing that he needed to seek God for rescue. I guess um, this difference reflects the complexity and the mystery of scripture. Often so many ways to interpret scripture, which in my view is a beautiful thing, as it offers so many ways in which God can speak to an evolving and diverse world. As a starting point, I assume in the moment that Jonah was not seeing being inside the belly of a whale as a good thing. We, of course, now see it as part of God's rescue, part of his great plan. But at the time, I suspect Jonah assumed he was on the way out, that this was all part of his punishment, part of his deserved suffering, and that would ultimately lead him to his death. And I guess there's no better place than being inside the belly of a whale to recognize that life needs to be different. I don't want to imagine what being in the bowels of a whale would smell like, look like, sound like, and feel like, but it must have been pretty grim. I'm fairly certain no one here has been swallowed by a whale, but I am absolutely certain that most of us at some times in our lives have been in a place of helplessness and despair, a place of darkness and a place of isolation a place where we recognize we have caused harm or have had harm done to us, a place of shame, a place where we have recognized that something has to change. Repentance is not just about recognizing the error of our ways, though that's part of it. Repentance is not just about confession and saying sorry to God and to the person you've hurt, though that might be necessary too. It's not just about receiving God's forgiveness, though that's important. Repentance is also about the changes that will be needed to move forward, and I think it's this part that God is looking for. Part of our repentance might be understanding why we behave as we do. Simply seeing myself as some kind of generic sinner isn't hugely helpful. I do wrong because I'm a bad person, just like the person sat next to me and just like the person sat next to them. It doesn't really help me change. If I'm rude to you today, I am wrong to do so, but I might have behaved like that because I'm stressed, because somebody else has just told me that my preach was too long and um, you've caught me at a bad time. It's not an excuse, but it might be a reason. It certainly doesn't excuse or condone my bad behavior, but it might help us understand it. And that's important because when we understand something, we can hopefully start to do something about it. Repentance is certainly not about getting away with murder. On the contrary, it's about facing up to our actions, recognizing the consequences, and choosing to behave differently. The amazing grace of the gospel message, of course, is that all that happens under the umbrella of God's forgiveness and mercy, and that forgiveness and mercy is undeserved and, frankly, hard for me to get my head around. Jesus spent his life on earth teaching us how to live well, how to live differently, teaching us how to love, teaching us humility, teaching us to be gentle with one another, to serve, to not cause harm, to not overpower, and to not abuse, to empower, to include and not marginalize or exclude, to respect, to, be, to bring about advantage to those who are disadvantaged, not to take advantage of. He taught love and he demonstrated love by his actions and interactions with those around him. His death on the cross was the ultimate final demonstration of the extent of his love, a love that extends to all and for all eternity, with no exception and no exclusion. 
Interesting that Jesus himself makes reference to Jonah whilst his challengers were once again asking for a sign. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Here, Jonah is speaking of his death and resurrection, which seems to mirror the story of Jonah. Jonah is sent to preach repentance to the people of Nineveh, a nation who were living lives that bore no resemblance at all to the lives God would want them to lead. Jesus, of course, did likewise, calling us to live another way. Signs and wonders and miracles were a wonderful part of his ministry, but for Jesus, the transformation comes with repentance. His purpose was to call us to live another way, his way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, declares Jesus. And when you observe how Jesus lived and pay heed to his word, it's hard to argue that the world wouldn't be a much better place if we did indeed follow him. So what else can we glean from Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, and how might we, what we learn help us in our own journey of repentance? In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. When we call out to God, he hears us and responds, no matter who we are, what we've done, or what circumstances we find ourselves in. At the point at which he cried out to God, he would have believed, Jonah would have believed his time was up. He was in the bowels of a whale, stinking, rotting, dark, dying. He knew he'd messed up. He knew he'd disobeyed God. What he was in was hell. I doubt he had much hope for a happy ending. Yet he cries out to God because, frankly, what else did he have? And God hears him. There's so much power in being heard. When we share where we are at with someone else, we are no no longer alone. They may not be able to change the situation we are in, but there's something about that sharing, that being heard and being understood that brings a sense of relief, a sense of safety, and a sense of connection. The Bible is full of references to God's ability and willingness to listen and to hear us in the Old and New Testaments, the Psalms being the first place to look if you ever need a reminder that God is present. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews encourages us to let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then in the letter to the Philippians, Paul reminds us again of God's presence in our day to day. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Of course, for Jonah, his cry for help resulted in rescue, his salvation. He received more than comfort and a sense of connection. But I know there are people here for whom rescue hasn't come, for whom the answer we want never comes. And that feels devastating. When we're told that God hears, that he heals, that he's a miracle worker, and yet we still find ourselves stuck in the belly of a whale, it feels as though our cries hit a brick wall and go unheard. And I don't have the answer to this. Over the years, I've heard different people try and explain and justify and offer reasons why God doesn't always answer our prayers as we would want. And frankly, I've never really been satisfied with any of their explanations. But I do believe that he hears our cries. I believe that Jonah would have known some comfort in knowing he wasn't dying alone, in knowing that he was still connected with God. I don't understand God's ways, but I do know that they are higher than mine and transcend my understanding. I believe God is a God of compassion, a God of mercy, and a God of love. And part of my repentance is to find a way to find hope and peace, and maybe even joy, 
in the simple knowing that God sees and knows while I languish in the belly of a whale. A choosing to simply believe, as Jesus called us to in that verse earlier on, and that particularly in the realms of death, as Jonah puts it, we are never alone and our lives will somehow be redeemed. His prayer goes on. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to, towards your holy temple. This is a tricky passage because Jonah clearly believes that God has made this happen. The storm, the whale, the suffering. And I don't know what I think about that. I find it hard to believe that God brings such misfortune upon us, whether as punishment or as a means of bringing about reconciliation or to teach us some kind of lesson. It's all too complex for me to get my head around. But without doubt, bad stuff happens, and that is usually down, in my experience, to a whole combination of timing, circumstances, decisions, choices, other people's choices, actions. And God somehow fits into all that. Irrespective of all that, Jonah is in a place where he believes he is being punished. He believes he is facing death because of what he's done. And God speaks into that situation and brings about change. There's nothing like being on the brink of death for a wake-up call that something has to change. I wanted to say something about shame here. Without doubt, Jonah will have felt completely ashamed of himself as he describes himself as being banished from God's sight, yet choosing to look towards what he describes as God's holy temple, a place he would undoubtedly have felt himself unworthy. He would have felt much more than guilt because of how he had behaved, but would have carried deep shame at who he had become. Shame causes us to run and hide. Shame keeps us in the belly of the whale. It shrinks us and holds us back from living the life in all its fullness that Jesus promises. The good news here is that God sees past our shame. The rotten, sinful, unclean, tarnished failure of a person that you or I might see when we look in the mirror and believe ourselves to be is not the person God sees and hears and loves. Like I said earlier, God sees a person whom he created and loves. Whatever the reason for us being in the belly of the whale, he can deal with and he can redeem. He can bring about a way forward. He can bring us from that lonely place of lonely, frightening darkness into the light. Part of our repentance might be to choose to come out of hiding, just as Jonah does by looking towards the holy temple, just as the prodigal son did when he returned home to his father with his tail between his legs after squandering all his inheritance. And just as the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years did when she dared to approach Jesus and touched his cloak. Part of our repentance may be to make a decision to approach the God of love with absolute confidence that he turns no one away. Remembering his sacrifice on the cross, arms outstretched and open to all. And that's repentance. It's that moment when we realize something has to change. We have to walk a new path. And it's those moments when we come before God and we say, here I am again, I want things to be different. Repentance might involve a sorry, it might involve acknowledgement of our part in where we're at, but in order to bring about change, it needs to involve an acceptance of his grace and forgiveness. Only then can we work our next steps in that place of freedom. In the parable of the prodigal son, the father was waiting. There was no decision-making time, no debrief, no penance, nothing demanded of the son at all. The father had forgiven the son before he even came back into view. So what does that mean for us going forwards? If we're a forgiven, redeemed people, 
how do we live out that repentance? For me, it's that awareness of how I live day to day whilst knowing the way Jesus would have me live. So I'm currently in a place now where I'm struggling with a particular issue and it's led me into a place of conflict with people who hold different views to me. I find their views hurtful and difficult to relate to, but that's led me to a place where I've said and behaved in ways that are not God's ways. The discomfort I feel is really hard. I need to stand by, by my beliefs, yet I am unsettled by the discomfort and disconnect I feel. And I know something has to change. Without sounding dramatic, I feel that for one of the very first times in my life, the call to love my enemy feels personally relevant. That's the scripture that speaks into my situation, where Jesus teaches us not only to love those who love us and are the same as us, but to love our enemies too. I have no doubt that God understands where I'm at. I know he hears me. I know he's seen my wrestling. I know he knows the reasons behind my wrestling. I know he knows the reasons behind, I know he understands my sense of injustice and my thoughts and feelings towards the people who oppose me. But I also know he loves those people too and doesn't love my attitude, my thoughts and my actions towards them. Like I said before, sin is complex. My repentance in this situation is to recognize that something needs to change. I can't change the hearts and minds of those who choose to think differently to me. I guess that's between them and God. But I can resolve to work out how I live alongside them and continue to love them, changing my views or changing theirs. It's not even about silencing me or silencing the others. It's about working out how to live with integrity and love. For me, that's repentance. It's a, a process, a journey that I have and need to go on with him. Finally, Jonah speaks of how God brought him up from the pit, from a place of death to a place of life. And that was Jonah's experience of repentance. So he ends his prayer with this. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And we hear then that the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Crying out to God from the belly of the whale brought him to a place of rescue, that place of a change of heart, a change of mind, a moment in time where he opted to stop running from God and chose instead to face him, to choose instead to live in the freedom of his salvation. You'll have to come back next week to see where that took him, but as uh, we all know in life, it's still not gonna be an easy ride. Repentance will look different for all of us. It took three days of being in the darkest place for Jonah. And I'm sure for him, this was only the start of his repentance journey, because that's what I believe repentance is, a journey, a process, part of our healing and part of our redemption, under the umbrella of God's grace and forgiveness with the promise of salvation. We come back to him time and time again with that desire to change, to walk more, clo more closely with him, to be that bit kinder, more loving, more accepting, more forgiving, less self-centered, less proud, knowing he sees and hears, knowing he waits for us, knowing his desire is to love and to not condemn, knowing we don't need to hide in shame. Maybe today is the day to take that step towards him, to give him a chance to work with him to make those changes, knowing that's his heart for you. We're gonna spend some time in worship now 
And maybe this gives us some time to recognize where we're at. We might be in the belly of a whale because of something that we've done, or maybe because of something someone else has done to us. Maybe all we can do is cry out and recognize he sees and hears us. Maybe that's all we need today. Or maybe we need to start working out a way forward. Maybe we need to work out what needs to change. There's not much else to do in the belly of a whale but to talk to God. And if you do have one of those belly of the whale conversations with God, feel free to share it with someone else. Maybe ask someone else to pray with you or just share where you're at. Recognizing, of course, that God is just as present in the person sat next to you as he is in the mountains and the heavens. Amen. Thank you.